Hello, my name is Hugo Prévost, and this is SVGA, your PC Retro Gaming Podcast. With me, as always, is Robert Hills. Hello, Robert. Hello, Hugo. Uh, very nice to meet you once again. We've, we've spoken, uh, well, a week ago now, and uh, pretty happy to talk to you again. Uh, we are having a special episode today. Sorry, we are having, there we go, a special episode today. We have a guest. So, uh, with us uh, is the CEO and founder of the Zoom platform, Mr. Jordan Freeman. Mr. Freeman, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And, uh, well, well, we're going to talk about, of course, the, uh, as I said, the Zoom platform. Just to, of, uh, we want to <laughs> specify it's not that Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe it's, I got a yeah. little anecdote for you too. Uh, we actually are technically I came up with the name in 2008 before Zoom video conferencing existed. So if it ever became a problem, I, I can say that at least. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. Um, and of course, Zoom is a uh, online shop when you can buy retro PC games and. Uh, Uh, my, me, my first question would be, um, how did it came to be? Because it's one thing to say, I'd like to play. I would like to play retro games. There's, and it's a whole other thing to say, I'm going to start a company to sell those games. Uh, yeah, to answer the question, uh, I should really go back to being a kid. Um, I always loved playing games, and I ended up wanting to read more about them and mess with them more than even playing them sometimes. And uh, that hobby grew into the business. Uh, when I was 14, I started a company, just a local one, to do computer repair. And I actually had to tell ABG Antivirus at the time, uh, they've been acquired by Avast, but um, that I was 18 when I really wasn't in order to resell the antivirus uh, programs. But unfortunately, uh, when that occurred, That would have been 2006 or so. And, um, you know, I started doing that. But the problem was at that time, it was difficult to get people to believe that a kid knew how to fix a computer. You mm -hmm. know, they kind of went, oh, that's great. But I'd rather go to Geek Squad or uh, Data Doctors, which are some ones we have in the U.S. Um, I think Canada, you, you, you guys have Best Buy there, right? With Geek yeah, Squad? we oh, do, yeah. yes. Okay, so I did that. And I got some business, but not really enough. Um, I also thought it'd be a good idea to set up a site. I called it head-to-head -head gaming where people could play games against each other online and maybe bet on their, uh, you know, on uh, their skills. Let's say, you know, we were going to play, you know, uh, Call of Duty. And I said, uh, Hugo and Robert, um, you know, uh, let, let's play and, you know, we'll each put in 20 bucks. Whoever wins gets the pot, you know, $60. Uh, unfortunately, though, shortly thereafter, the U.S. gambling laws changed, and that's why uh, World Gaming at the time, which became Virgin Gaming and Gamer Saloon, uh, which uh, my website was similar to, they, they moved offshore and they had to shut down, and I needed to figure out some other things as well. And one of the things that I had noticed was when I was growing up, I would play my family's Packard Bell, and it had these great pack-in titles, uh, Windows 3.1, MS-DOS, Uh, it had uh, Mega Race and the Knowledge Adventure series. Uh, did either of you play those? Unfortunately, I think no. I. No, I, no, ahead, I don't Robert. think I've ever. I, I don't think I've ever played either of them, but I do remember seeing Mega Race. I think. Gotcha. Well, um, you know, Mega Race was unique in that it was one of the few FMV games that was actually fun to play, and the video footage was great because Christian Eriksen, the actor who's since become a friend. Um, 
he knew not to take it seriously and to do it tongue in cheek. And it was making fun of American gladiators and reality TV. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like Bill Hicks. It was so ahead of its time and I loved it. And, um, you know, uh, as computers progressed, you know, uh, you got windows 95, 98 and XP. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to play that game anymore. Nor the knowledge adventure ones. Obviously I wanted to revisit mega race, more i mean you kind of grow out of knowledge adventure as as fun as those were uh but i couldn't i couldn't get it to work and finally i discovered this thing called DOSBox, and i went oh okay you can do that so i had just done that for fun you know it's like modding an xbox that kind of thing which is also kind of how i got started so uh eventually i thought you know these games are kind of going to be like vinyl records people are going to want to replay the classics and maybe mm-hmm. discover you know hidden gems they get more respect later on you take uh, say iggy pop for example or a lot of guys who you know i mean i love the stones and clapton but you want to go back and find out who inspired them howlin wolf muddy waters uh you know little walter um so in any case uh i thought that would be you know a good way to go and so i formed zoom platform jordan freeman group which was a bit of a misnomer at the time because i wanted to sound bigger it was just me uh <laughs> and i started reaching out <laughs> started reaching out to american publishers and if i even got a response it was thanks but no thanks uh so then i thought well you know maybe i'll get lucky if i try some of these european companies because one mm-hmm. of the other troubles was well why don't you come down to the office and um i actually got a few people to respond um first off was justine Boivine at uh it was funny. They were microids and they had, were just turning into Animan Interactive and they've since turned back to microids, I think, as of two years ago. And Justine, uh, we hit it off and I said, you know, it'd be great to get these games like Mega Race back on Steam. And, you know, one day we're hoping to launch our own platform. You know, what do you think? So she introduced me to Julian Renzajo, her partner, a great guy. And we started working together, and we converted a ton of games for them, including uh, quite a few that uh, GOG had deemed impossible, like Khan, Barbarian's Blade, and speaking of Mega Race, some other cryo classics like Arthur's Knights uh, 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. So okay. I did that. And then one of the greatest strategy games ever that I loved was called Commandos. Uh, did either of you play that? Oh, yes. That's yes, the like um, the, the tactical one where you're... Exactly. The, the horrible, yeah, yeah. Yeah, by Pyro Studios in Spain. Well, I reached out to a guy named Charlie Andre Barrett. He ran a company at the time called Digital Game Factory. Uh, he since uh, sold that uh, to, uh, well, here, I'll tell you the full story. So he had licensed the Commandos franchise from Pyro Studios. He also licensed Praetorians and Imperial Glory from them. And he got some other titles like the Creatures series. And uh, I think that might be it, if uh, if memory serves. Although my memory hasn't been the best lately, it used to be like an elephant. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but in any case, I hit it off with him, and uh, he really liked the pitch that I had. And he said, you know, not only can I get you these games, let me introduce you to a few people. So he introduced me to a great guy named Daryl Still. He used to be at Atari UK, and at the time he was at One Cent Company before they were One Cent Entertainment, and he was uh, head of their digital distribution. And uh, I, you know, I, I signed, uh, you know, Charlie's games and then I signed Daryl's and Daryl since left one cent company to form uh, Kiss Digital Publishing, which is an indie label. Uh, he did that with Peter King and he's been another great friend, great ally. So uh, let me tell you that if I go off on you know, random directions, <laughs> let me know and I'll stop. Uh, the great thing about Charlie was Charlie, in addition to that introduction, he eventually sold um 
uh, Digital Game Factory to a guy named Luke Keegren, who formed Merge Games, which has those older titles. I think they've since sold them technically to, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name, but they have Tropico and um, mm-hmm. those games. Yeah. But anyway, our perpetual rights contract ensured the, you know we were able to keep selling them. But um, uh, he, uh, Charlie, after he sold that, would go on to work at Bethesda UK. When Microsoft bought out Bethesda, he moved over to Team 17, and that's where he's at now. He's a very talented guy, and it's clear why all these big companies want him, because he's very good. Um, and he started off in sales and handling retail and supply, and he's since moved into handling you know the, the digital version of that. So... I reached out to him. We got those games going. Then with Daryl, one cent company, and then uh, reached out to a woman named Ludmila Ludwig, who owned Fireglow Games, the Sudden Strike series, which is kind of like I would say a mix between Age of Empires and Commandos. Have, mm-hmm. have you guys played Sudden Strike? Yeah, a bit. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So we got Strike. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I I spent a little bit of time with that one, not a ton, but I I had a friend who we'd go over and play at his place. I got you. Cool. So they, they had done uh, Stranger as well. Um, the Southern Strike actually started because the team, uh, Fireglow, was originally effectively, because uh, it was mostly the same people, but it was called, I think, Nashi Igri, a Russian developer. They created a game called Counteraction, which we also sell, and that would uh, uh, they would go on to form Fireglow games and create Southern Strike, which was basically a modernized version at the time of uh, Counteraction. So I got those under my belt but i noticed you know it was still difficult to get this across Uh, thankfully i've generally had a deeper voice and i think i was able to you know fool some people on skype that i wasn't just 16 years old calling up which i was (laughs) 16 17 um but then i said you know it'd be uh it'd be cool if i could get you know i could talk to somebody who's you know done this before has the experience and you know maybe partner with them maybe maybe there's someone out there who would get it in america and i remembered as i mentioned earlier on the call growing up i was fascinated even just reading about games and what's considered you know i'm not religious but it's called this the bible of the games industry uh the ultimate history of video games uh by stephen l kent Uh, that's even used in harvard business school that that's like it's it's literally a video game encyclopedia it's a Mm -hmm. brilliant history and i'd always read it and enjoyed it it's uh uh, I enjoyed reading that, and there was this great show called G4 Icons. Uh, G4, uh, it was ori- there was originally, I think, a channel called Tech TV, and it merged with G4. Unfortunately, it kind of went downhill after that. But before it did, uh, there was this thing called G4 Icons, where they interview industry luminaries and talk about uh, count- the history of councils and franchises. Did you guys ever watch that? Uh, yeah, a little bit, yes. All right, cool. So... They had two great episodes, the history of the Sony PlayStation, the history of the Sega Dreamcast, which Steve was on. Um, And there was an executive on there that was on both videos because he was instrumental in the launch of the PlayStation and the Dreamcast. And that guy's name is Bernie Stoller. Um, He I want to give a little background on him before I tell you how I met him, because his he's (laughs) I would say the godfather of gaming, which I can't take full credit for because Eva Wu coined that phrase. She's a a, a very nice person. great friend uh, who worked with Bernie at Adscape Media before he sold that to Google. But to give you Bernie's background, he started off um, actually in advertising. And then he created a company called Pacific Novelty Manufacturing with a friend of his called uh, Brian Semler. And what they would do is they kind of came up with the concept of the Neo Geo uh, by SNK before it right. even happened. 
the idea of, okay, you already have this real estate uh, in terms of the arcade machine. What if you just swap the boards out and, you know, you kind of had games swapping in and out. So uh, one of the first ones he did was a game called Mr. Do, uh, which was done by Universal, not Universal Studios, but Universal, uh, the Japanese games company. Um, did you guys ever play that? Uh, not me, no, sadly, unfortunately. Not. Well, it's a, no, no, it's a bit similar to Dig Dug. The best representation of it in the modern era, I would say, is the Super Nintendo port. I think Black Pearl Software did that. Um, but uh, so he did Mr. Do, and then they started making their own games, like Mr. F. Lee, NATO Defense, and this one brilliant one called Shark Attack. And uh, what ended up happening with Shark Attack uh, is, speaking of Universal, Universal Studios, And Steven Spielberg and uh, Sid Sheinberg, they kind of they, they sent their goons over to Bernie. And you'll love this. They told him, hey, you know, <laughs> if you do anything about sharks, you got to pay rights to Jaws, which is ridiculous. And, uh, you know, but we're going we're gonna to go nice on you, Bernie. We're only going to charge your royalties on the first 1,000 units. Um, and, you know, or excuse me, we're only going to charge your royalties after the, the first 1,000 units. And uh, Bernie said, okay, fine. So uh, the way the manufacturing runs work, they made 10 at a time. So Bernie made sure they made 990. Then they stopped. And then he sent a letter saying, hey, you want one? Because if you want, we'll make another one. But otherwise, we're moving on to something else. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I love that. And that's actually in, in Steve's book. Um, but in any case, he did that. And then um, he, and he had you know, worked with Nolan Bush. He later would work with Nolan Bushnell at Atari. And he was even there when the Tremiles came into play. And... Um, Eventually, he became president of Atari and actually led the development and the release of the Lynx handheld, um, which uh, in terms of, you know, any handheld, even giving the uh, the Game Boy, you know, a run for its money, I'd say it was the Lynx, certainly from a technological standpoint. Um, obviously, Nintendo's strategy was, you know, it, as it's always been, never to have, you know, the top tier hardware with the exception, exceptions maybe being the N64 and the GameCube, but um You know, it, it again, it was able to compete and it had some great titles. So uh, Bernie would eventually leave Atari, though, to co-found Sony Computer Entertainment America and develop the concept of the PlayStation. Uh, Ken Kutaragi uh, actually originally conceived the PlayStation as a Super Nintendo add-on. And uh, I'm, you guys probably know this. Uh, obviously, Nintendo kind of got cold feet but with Philips to make the CDI Sony you know feeling that betrayal said well we'll just build the whole console ourselves um, and so Bernie as executive vice president of SCEA at the time his uh, job was to acquire as many franchises as he could and especially original content that wasn't necessarily on other platforms and thanks to him PlayStation got Crash Bandicoot Spyro the Dragon the Oddworld franchise Um, oh, speaking of which, Sherry McKenna and Lauren Lanning are great friends of ours. We have the Oddworld games on Zoom. Um, and he also got Ridge Racer, uh, you know, some, some fantastic titles. Hopefully I'm not uh, forgetting any. Um, and he did that for them. And then unfortunately, after the launch was so successful, uh, Sony Japan started forcing a lot of the American and European guys who built the launch out. And uh, Bernie ended up getting a letter. He was wondering what he was going to do. He ended up getting a letter from Hayao Nakayama, who was uh, on the board of Sega. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, we'd like you to come work for us. So he became president and chief, or he first became chief operating officer at Sega and then became uh, president and chief operating officer. And 
Uh, he was responsible for, you know, Soul Calibur, getting Soul Calibur there, helping to uh, create the concept of Crazy Taxi, and, you know, and getting all those games off the ground. And one of the things he'd do is because EA was refusing to publish pretty much, or not pretty much anything on uh, the Dreamcast, he uh, was the one who acquired visual concepts and created 2K Sports, which uh, he'd eventually help them sell to Take Two, which is now, uh, you know, it's to this day, 2K Sports. Uh, uh, Jordan, I'm that, sorry, I'll, I'll have to cut in. It's not, it's, it's quite interesting, but I feel we're diverting a bit away from the, the maybe the topic of this. Uh... Oh, fair enough. But it's 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 really interesting. But yeah, so uh, like I said, eventually you went up to uh, you had this company. Like once again, yeah, the yeah, Zoom yeah. platform. So I reached out to Bernie. You know, yeah. if you look him up, you can see his history. And I told him, look, I think games are going to be like vinyl records. People are going to want to replay the classics, which mm -hmm. had been my pitch all along. And he was at a company called Get Fugu at the time, and he said, well. How'd you get this number? I said, well, we were at that conference. You know, I said, you know, I, I lost your business card, you know? And um, he goes, all right, well, tell you what, I'm, you know, I'm, he had this uh, office um, in San Francisco and it was near a place called the Wingtip Club. And he said, you know, why don't you meet me there on Thursday? I think it was Monday or something at the time. I'm like, yeah, I'll check my schedule. I think I can do that. Really, I had nothing to do, but I also had no money. So uh, I, thankfully just went okay look i don't have to pay for a hotel i can just fly in first thing in the morning and fly back uh, last flight at night and in case you weren't aware i'm in uh, scottsdale arizona at the time right so i do that and when i show up um he's uh, i think pretty surprised at you know who shows up and i'm uh you know floored by oh my god i'm meeting bernie stoller so <laughs> we're both kind of in shock uh but uh we kind of pretend that it's it's not like we can see it on each other's faces i think but we pretend it's not we have the meeting uh i you know i pitch everything to him i explain how we can do this and what i've done so far for about 45 minutes or so and uh eventually he taps the table and goes i've heard enough and i'm a little worried when he says that <laughs> you know and he goes all right i'm in how do we do this yeah and we've worked together ever since and um Shortly thereafter, um, I cold called Vince Desi at Running with Scissors, um, who's been another guy who's backed us forever. And he said, "Hey, I'm in." And say hi to Bernie. I used to uh, I used to work at Atari with him back in the '80s uh, before he would go on to do Postal and everything. So yeah. So long story short, uh, so Bernie and I started reaching out to some more American developers. Uh, I reached out to Scott Miller at 3D Realms. Not a big fan of him, to be honest with you. Um, he hasn't really thanked us, but the reason Duke Nukem, the original titles, are still still available is because of us and our uh, perpetual rights contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, mostly good people that we've met. Uh, but regardless, um, yeah, we, we started reaching out to more of these companies and putting these games out there. And one of the fastest sign-ons ever was Rod Cousins at Codemasters. I think we emailed him in the morning with our pitch and by, you know, and he's in the UK at, by noon or 1 PM our time, we had a signed contract and we were ready to roll and working on a lot of the great sensible software titles like cannon fodder and uh, oh, yeah. a sensible soccer. So yeah, it was a, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a, a fun ride and now we're, we're working on our original titles, uh, shadow stalkers and uh, a reboot of mega race called mega race death match. And that's uh, kind of the, let's call it the reader's digest version. Do you, do you have any questions? <laughs> 
once you sort of get a company signed on, is it difficult to, you know, bring their, their, their games into your platform? Like, is it, is there a lot of work required in getting something old working on, you know, a new machine? Well, to be frank, I did a lot of the initial releases myself. Um, right. They weren't, uh, I wouldn't say they were the best, but I got them working like the Postal 2 Fudge Pack, Aliens vs. Predator Gold Edition, things like that. But very early on, uh, I met a, a gentleman named Adam Hilson, who's our CTO. And he, uh, I met him on this great forum that used to exist called Assembler Games. And um, I you know, was pitching around, hey, is there someone who's good with Ino setup who can make installers and you can help crack games? Because at the end of the day, when you want to make these things DRM-free and in yeah. a legal sense, you do need to break the old copyright protections. Well, Adam is, I, I, like I said, I always call him the wizard. He can do <laughs> anything in terms of hardware, anything in terms of software. Um, his uh, main gig is he works on these... Uh, uh, measuring uh, devices that like so few people in the world can work on that he literally flies around the world fixing and repairing these machines and upgrading them because uh, he's he's the guy to go to and this is literally uh, a, a hobby to him i mean it's and he's brilliant so uh what ends up happening honestly is from my standpoint when you talk to some of these publishers it's amazing i don't know if you ever watched seinfeld but the the opposite episode where george says uh uh, well, if my every instinct is wrong, the opposite would have to be correct. That's what it's like going into these publishers. You have to throw logic out the window. I can't tell you how many times I say, uh, you know, this is found money. You've been sitting on this catalog for 10 years. Why don't you do something with it? Eh, you know, uh, we don't know. Um, so honestly, it's a lot just convincing some of these groups to do it. Now, there's some that are you know, right away on board, good to go. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to the games... I've yet to run into a game that Adam hasn't been able to crack. He just does it. Our art team does the art. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, check everything over, write up the descriptions, although we got someone helping out with that now. And then we market it. And one of the coolest things in terms of the team is uh, it, we've had kind of a interesting relationship with GOG. I'll put it that way. We've caught our software there a few times and they were even apparently dumb enough to purchase some of our games where they used our software with an oh. at GOG.com PayPal address. Uh, which, yeah, not the, it's, like, it's like copying someone's test and putting their name on it. Um, but in any case, uh, one of the things that was interesting was that one of their marketing directors was so upset by that, he left GOG and he's with us now, Sean Halliday, who's been amazing. He goes by Linko64 on Twitter and he is just you know, like Adam is with the technology, he's the marketing guru. I think sometimes I'm a little too businesslike and robotic. I mean, there are times where, you know, uh, I just, in terms of social media, I just, it's not me. He knows how to get right. that attitude across. And it's great because, uh, you know, what sets us apart, I think, is that that edge he brings. Right. Yeah. And and that's, it, it's interesting because I've been going through your catalog a bit and it's, it's a, You've got a really diverse. Um, there, there's a lot of interesting titles there, and it's it's interesting the way you've been able to pull in some that are, you know, uh, there was one in particular. Like I play a lot of sim simulation games. One that stuck out to me was um, the the helicopter sims, uh, Hind and um, Longbow, which are ones that I remember oh, yeah. playing as a kid, and I had not seen those anywhere else. So it's it's. It's interesting you've also been able to find that sort of niche um, 
those niche titles to bring back that aren't necessarily like the ones that everyone remembers, but there's, 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 there's something special for everyone there. It seems like. Oh, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about mega race. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, you're uh, that, that sold, um, you know, two and a half million copies, but a lot of people don't even know about it. Right. And, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's tough to get that across. So, you know, I, I can certainly relate and, you know, it's even the knowledge adventure games, it would blow your mind, but those are sometimes some of our best sellers, um, on a monthly basis, you know, we kind of see what the trends are and there's a lot of people nostalgically want to play 3d dinosaur adventure again. Um, so yeah, the, it's a, it's amazing how you find out that these fan bases still exist. And, you know, I think a lot of it is people, people do want to revisit those games, but I'm wondering too, you know, I'm going to be 30 this year. Maybe some of these people, you know, they've had kids and they want mm-hmm. to sh- have them play the same games they grew up with. I mean, it's the way I watched like John Wayne and Steve McQueen movies with my father you know, and listen to his albums. You, you could tell by my music talker, yeah. where, you know, I listened to <laughs> what I listened to. And so, yeah, you know, and again, um, it's like, as I said, you want to rediscover the classics or guys that, you know, people in the know knew about, but deserve uh, better recognition. That happens too. So yeah, you get the classics, but then let's say like a guy like Iggy Pop or Michael Monroe from Hanoi Rocks, it's the same kind of deal like with a game, like you said, like Heinz, something that is instrumental in this industry that inspired simulators going forward or what have you, uh, that again, the people who, who make it are like, oh yeah, that I listened to that or I played that and that inspired me to do this. To be able to bring that to a new audience is really exciting. Yeah, that's that's kind of one thing we, we talk about a lot on this podcast is how... Um, playing these old games, especially ones that aren't sort of the, the, the triple a titles of their day or what have you, you, you start to get the, the sense of, you know, how games evolved over time and how one thing leads to another. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the biggest thing, but there's something in a lot of games that you can learn a lot more from the smaller titles than the biggest ones. Well, I, I would agree, uh, and um, I think you'll. I'm trying to think of a good example of that uh, that we have even. Um, well, I mean, in some ways, you could say cannon fodder inspired commandos, you know, or um, Enclave inspired a lot of RPGs. I think Enclave's a game that is unfortunately. Uh, it's a Starbreeze title, but it's before they did Payday and everything, and I think that j- just is amazing. Interesting. I, that's actually one I've never played. Oh well, I, I'd highly recommend it. Is um, do you find it's a difficult market to get into now? Because it seems like I mean, you've talked about GOG a bit that um, that people are beginning to recognize that there is this market there that that people do want to go back and whether it's for nostalgic reasons or to to show their family or what have you that like there's people want to play these and have you found that's that's an attitude that's changed and made more things difficult for you or well you know i i I think the consumers uh you know the fans wanting to play the games and i put myself in that category i think that's always been there i think it will (laughs) i think some of the publishers now i mean you know with all the acquisitions and everything microsoft's making all the the right moves uh phil spencer seems like a great guy and you know they're doing all the right moves but it worries me because this is a an industry that's 
already pretty bereft of ideas already with stifled creativity. And I feel like this is going to make it worse as, you know, these companies get acquired. I have no idea why Sony acquired Bungie. That one didn't make sense, but other than, you know, kind of a middle finger back, but you know, Bungie doesn't have Halo. So I don't know what their, their angle is there, but regardless, um, I think the consumer side, that's always been there. I think you can tap into it, but we need to also develop original games. And I feel Mm -hmm. we're unfortunately falling into the same problem that, again, speaking of music, uh, did. Because, you know, it's like, how many times uh, can Led Zeppelin put out, you know, Led Zeppelin 2, you know, remastered? You know, maybe they just add a little, you know, on the end or whatever. It's not that much different. But unfortunately, you're getting these minimal effort quote-unquote remasters which you know maybe there's some visual upgrades upgrades but maybe sometimes uh it br- it breaks the gameplay mechanics and that certain genesis qua uh, mm-hmm. that it had uh and then it's 20 bucks and they remove the you know the five buck version the original which most people probably would have wanted you know i feel that's a bit right. of a problem as well and i think consumers is especially when you look at the blowback uh on nfts and crypto and all that nonsense in my opinion it's just greater fool theory anyway but i think gamers are getting upset that they're being taken advantage of that's not what it's about and i'm concerned where the industry's headed um i've always considered myself an outsider i still do um i i have the tremendous respect for Guys like Bernie, uh, Rob Dyer, who's at Capcom now, uh, ran Eidos for a while, probably my favorite publisher growing up, uh, Rod Cousins, uh, you know, a lot of the guys I mentioned earlier, uh, because they they built this industry. And I'm not sure uh, they're getting the respect they deserve. And I mm-hmm. think now there's it's a it's a very uh, in crowd. You know, I, I don't want to say secret handshakes, but you get what I mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so that's fine. Uh, but. I don't mind doing things differently. I've been told throughout my entire career, starting with my high school um, uh, counselor, who, uh, by the way, I, I don't know if I should, I'll just say it. I, I dropped out of high school. Uh, <laughs> uh, counselor told me, you know, you, this isn't going to work. You know, don't you can't just start a company. There's a major corporate. You can't compete. You should go to work, right. get a steady job and steady salary. And I just never believe that. And I don't like listening to people. Just one of the reasons why I left high school. Uh, but I always love to read and I always love to push further and push the envelope. Um, you know, I, I've you, it's kind of like asking the the best looking girl at the, at the school out. Of course, I don't mm-hmm. like to look in the small term just school. The worst she can say is no. And if she does, it's her loss. And nobody else quite frankly, has the balls to do it. So why not? You know, you got a shot. And the same thing works in the business world. Uh, I mean, I'll give you an example. I called Irish Dreamtime Productions, which is Pierce Brosnan's production company. Uh, I spoke to his assistant and I pitched an idea for a game that we're actually working on now. And uh, they said, okay, we'll, we'll uh, think it over. Thanks for the pitch. And, you know, we'll get back to you. And to be honest, I didn't think I'd ever hear back. Well, three or four days later, I get a call. Is uh, Jordan there from a <laughs> number? I, I go, I'm sorry. It's hard to hear you. I'm in my car. This is Pierce Brosnan. And I I, pull, I couldn't believe it. I pulled over down to earth, incredibly nice guy, incredibly supportive, just heart of gold. But, you know, again, you, you're, you're we're taught when we're growing up to believe, you know, you can't reach this um uh, you know, you can't reach certain levels unless you're already there. I don't right. believe in that. Yeah, some people get a head start, 
But networking is networking. And if you, you know, you deliver the proper elevator pitch, you can get guys like Bernie and Pierce to respond and you, you work and you put in the effort. It, it can happen. Now, there's still some luck involved. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying it's fair. Uh, but, um, you know, and there's still things I'm upset about, but, you know, you just keep working and, you know, hope for the best. Well, hopefully that was, uh, uh, interesting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that, that, no, I, I, I think that's a, a really, a really good way of looking at it. And you've, you've talked a bit about sort of developing new games and how that, I, I guess that is sort of how you see part of the future. It's not just bringing back the old things. It's it's bringing something new, but with sort of a more independent spirit, I guess. Yeah, well, it's kind of both, you know, exactly. But it's like, um, you know, I'm a huge, obviously, as you might guess, a James Bond fan. Mm-hmm. I love the old films, uh, you know, but I, I also if you watch the saint, which Roger Moore was on that kind of inspired to me, that may be one of the, the best bond performances ever. His performance as the saint, uh, dare I say rivals Connery's performance as bond. And, you know, just looking back at that, it's great to, you know, to re-experience that, but yeah, but all, and I'd love, and if I could, I'd love to bring the saint, like say to some, uh, you know, I think it already is on the Amazon streaming service, but I'd love to introduce that to a younger audience, but also creating something new. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of both. Hopefully that makes sense. Right. In, in, in a sort of way that you, you pay, uh, homage to something without necessarily doing the exact same thing. Correct. And at the same time, I, I, I want to do whatever I can to introduce people to, to that, you know, because unfortunately, as time progresses, you know, some people's history is last week, you know, right. uh, we got to it, it, we can't forget these things unless, you know, we repeat the same mistakes in some realms and in others. Um, you know, I, I feel like something's lost. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting in the way that you see a lot of um retro shooters seem to be coming back like uh one that comes to mind is dusk but there's a there's a whole bunch of them that have that sort of um somewhere in a, a doom sort of feel like a lot of high gore high action not so much well, i agree and dusk dusk is great no i i, I totally get what you're saying and it is it is that kind of what you're talking about that sort of you know bringing back the the vibe of some of these older games where it's it's they're not as complex. They don't have the same sort of technical, you know, mastery. We're not talking about like ray tracing and all this stuff, but they, they have a certain essence to them. Well, for what it's worth, I think generally once you can put a name on something, let's say grunge, for example, it's already Mm -hmm. done. Um, and I think with the boomer shooter, you kind of got the same problem. I think there's too many at this point. Dusk was one of the first and that, that, you know, that's fantastic, but it, you know, it's great that these things are, are happening, but I'm talking to not even just simpler mechanics, uh, but, you know, just something, man, I wish I could articulate this better. Um, some sort of unique gameplay hook that, uh, again, it it, it, it kind of harkens back to the old days, but there's also something new. I hate to sound like a publishing executive because you're, I'm, you're constantly told that, you know, <laughs> don't alienate anyone, you know, do the, do it like we've always done it, but do something new and exciting at the same time. But hopefully that makes sense. Like what we're working on now, um, you know, it's got a hitman thief stealth esque vibe. Uh, mm. but there's, there's another element that we've added to it that I don't think has been done before in the stealth genre. So hopefully that makes sense in my explaining of that. And uh, in terms of, you know, the boomer shooter realm, um, 
one of the cool games we got to re-release was we met this great developer, uh, Matthew Little, really cool guy, who's been working on, the, uh, or had been working on this game called Wreckers Sunken Land since the mid-90s. And he created a new episode with the, uh, his team, and they uh, they put out this great uh, GZ Doom game called, uh, uh, like I said, Wreckers Sunken Land that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It has its own atmosphere and does things in a way that, um, you know, I don't think you know, have been done before, certainly not in a uh, GZ Doom uh, game. And that, that was really exciting to put out. That's, that's interesting. And is that, that's sort of the future finding or, or the future for, for Zoom at least is, is finding that sort of balance between nostalgia and newness. Yeah, I think we definitely want to keep, you know, keeping the old games updated and getting them out there. Anybody who wants to work with us to do that, you know, we're open to it. Um, we want to keep helping those indies get that spotlight, like you're saying, and we want to make our our own stuff. But I would say, uh, you know, the top priority is helping the indies and getting our own stuff out there, because unfortunately, working on the older catalog releases, um, again, while I, I, it's still number three on the list, I want to do that. Um, you know, as I mentioned, some of these companies, they, they they seem okay with these broken GOG releases. I mean, there are plenty of games on GOG, if you check their forums, that simply don't work on Windows mm. 10 or even Windows 7. And it's a shame because we've offered, we've extended the Olive Branch to help them fix those. There's some Steam games that need some updating as well. But, you know, we love Steam. We have a ton of our work on Steam. But GOG would be the perfect partner, but they just, you know, they... I don't know. I guess they prefer just to buy our games and try to do it themselves. But, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but yeah, no, preserving that history is so important, especially too, with again, all these acquisitions and rights getting tangled up, you know, untangling that is very important, you know, for the the preservation. So I guess that's the other thing. It's, it's about Mm -hmm. preserving history and, you know, getting people a spotlight that maybe didn't get the chance before, you know, and um, that that's, I guess, our mission. And there you have it. Thanks to Jordan Freeman, the CEO and co-founder of the Zoom platform, for taking the time and sharing his insights with us. If you want to catch up on our previous episodes, including our mini DLCs, you can find them on pieuvre.ca. We're also on Balado Quebec, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. For Hugo, I'm Robert, and thanks for listening to SVGA. See you next time.